On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgianos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Love our Thursday shows. Love having in-studio audience. Love to have you tune in. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. We have a very special guest joining us in studio, and he's joined us numerous uh, other times in the past. And we're going to talk a little bit about the topics we used to talk about. But Lieutenant Colonel Alan West has joined us in studio. I'm going to give you a brief introduction of him before uh, we launch into our discussion. I do want to do a quick uh, announcement or just a thank you to Brighteon TV. Brighteon is spelled, I'm going to spell it for you, B-R-I-G-H-T-E-O-N. Brighteon TV is an online television network that's picked up this show. I urge you to tune into Brighteon TV, find that online, and our show, all past shows, along with dozens of other very serious conservatives, people whose voices are not always heard on mainstream media, uh, Ann Vandersteel, just lots of names you would know, great talk show hosts. So if you uh, ever check it out, I think that'd be a wonderful thing to do. Brighteon.tv, I thank them for carrying the show. So for a Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, I've introduced him many times uh, in public speeches or in this show, and I wanna do a little bit of a different angle on introducing him today. He's here in part because he's a candidate today here in Texas for the Dallas County Party Chairmanship, which I will talk about at great length. But I want to talk about what condition America is in in 2024, where we are as a country, what people are concerned about, and what seems to be a dearth of leadership in this country on, on big, big issues from border security, where we have Congress members, 60 of them going down, looking at the border, reporting once again, yes, it's really terrible. It's just awful. Look what the Biden administration is doing. They're writing you know, sternly worded memos or something, but we don't see change. We don't see there is a dearth, dearth of leadership, a lack of leadership. I think that's needed on a whole host of issues facing America today. So I want to start in talking with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, talking about his military background and talking about what he actually did in the military. And so I'll do this briefest of introduction and turn to him. He did, and while I'm going to embellish more about he actually decided in 10th grade in high school, he joined the Junior Reserve Officers Training Corps program. And I can just tell you, I don't think anyone in my high school did that, as far as I know. And uh, I don't think people, even among the adults I know, I don't know that many who decided at the young age, a tender age of 10th grade, with a lot of other things on your mind, uh, that you decided to join the Junior Reserve Officers Training Corps. Uh, he went through college, University of Tennessee. He joined the Army ROTC there. He served in America's military. He led in a whole host of actual military combat situations. And these are things that get lost in the political discussion of today that through that experience in the Army, through what he did there, he actually cultivated leadership skills. And I think that's one of the things vitally needed in America today. So I want to talk about his leadership today. Uh, he has also served in Congress, served uh, from representing a district in Florida. I think it was the 22nd district in Florida for one term. 
Um, and he came to Texas where he now lives with his family, in fact his uh, lovely wife and their two daughters, uh, they're family friends, we think the world of them, uh, but they're in Texas now and he in Texas has served in numerous leadership positions. He was most recently the chair of the Texas State GOP. The Texas State GOP is a big, big job. It was a competitive election to become chair of the Texas State GOP uh, and he did a lot of things there we're going to talk about which I think also exemplify leadership and then we'll be talking about um, after that talking about why he's taking on this role, the, seeking this role of Dallas County GOP chair. So please help me welcome to the show Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Well, thank you. Thank you all. So I think this leadership thing You're is supposed huge. to say Happy New Year. Oh, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, David. Well, thank you. Happy New Year to you. Yes, okay. Um, but back to the business at hand. <laughs> I, act I actually think it's an amazing thing because, you know, you've been on my show over the years. We've talked about Islamic Jihad. Mm -hmm. We've talked about, uh, in fact, you know how long ago you were on my show was when it was a radio show. Do not tell the stories about the radio show where I was just learning how to do radio. But you were on my show when we were talking um, about oh, the Obama era. Yeah. And they were negotiating the Iran nuclear deal, yeah. which was actually the surrender to Iran, let them have nukes, is what that deal was. Mm -hmm. But we, we, we talked about those kind of things and uh, American military activity and defense against China and what China's trying to do. So you've had a broad um, life experience in, in speaking about and defending America. But I want to go back and just ask you why, because I do think you cultivate leadership skills in the military, why did you even join the junior reserves in 10th grade? You well, first of all, I want to tell you, it's been great to have been your friend for now going on 14 years. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of people know that. Uh, my dad was a World War II veteran and uh, he served in the European theater of operations. And my godfather was a Tuskegee Airman, William Sticky Jackson. Wow. So uh, it was incredible when you have your dad look at you at the age of 15, 16 on the steps of his home there in Atlanta. And he challenges you to be the first officer in the family because he was an enlisted corporal. And my older brother was a Lance Corporal in the infantry in Vietnam, the United States Marine Corps. Wow. So uh, it, it was a, a huge challenge. And so I joined the junior ROTC program at Henry Grady High School and rose up to the rank of cadet lieutenant colonel at the day, who, who would have ever known, and then went to the University of Tennessee in ROTC. Uh, and then on 31 July 1982, I fulfilled my dad's uh, challenge to me and became a second lieutenant in the United States Army. I love that. And actually, you know, we've talked about this before, but I think in some families like yours, military experience is just, it's kind of, it is a, a family thing. It's a mm -hmm. tradition. It is. And, and I love that. And I think it's true in many families who, you know, with military members today, their family, mm -hmm. they come from families that have that tradition of service. And other families, honest to goodness, and my dad served in World War II in, mm -hmm. in Japan, mm -hmm. but, you know, it he did it because he was drafted and because that's what he had to go do, yeah. but it wasn't a tradition. And, you know, I've thought, so, especially recently when I see the precarious situation America's in mm -hmm. and our military is in, I thank God for families that are, that are, I'm sorry, my phone that is are, that are, buzzing. That are, are. You so sound like a robot. <laughs> sorry, my phone Don't is buzzing. Don't arigato, Mr. Robot. I'm so sorry. I'm going to turn my phone off. My gosh, I'm so sorry. 
It's buzzing. Now, once upon a time, I Wait, could have made Debbie say, do push-ups. My phone was off. Okay. But, you know, I, can't, I can't have her do anything. Because she's the host. She's in charge. <laughs> I do apologize. My phone was off, like, as in silence, but not off. And I can't, like, a uh, cascade of phone calls coming in. Who knows? Anyway. So great point. It's a great point you bring up about the tradition of, of legacy and service. I mean, that's why we have organizations like the Daughters of the American Revolution yeah. that we recall. But last year, the Secretary of the Army, Christine Warmoth, she actually came out and said that they want to have a new recruiting strategy and that they don't want to look to families that have generationally served the military for their next generation of recruits in the military. And it's kind of an affront to, you know, families such as mine with a, a dad in World War II, a brother in Vietnam. I did 22 years. My nephew is a lieutenant colonel right now. He's at 18 or 19 years. And she's saying that that's not good enough for us at a time where we're not meeting our recruitment and retention levels. So it, it, this is a very precarious situation for the country because this is the first time ever. I remember when we, we went to the volunteer, all volunteer military, and everyone talked about how it would fail. It has never failed until these last two years of this administration. Uh, and so everyone should be very concerned about what they see happening in our military right now. I love that point. One thing in the military, I know we have many topics to cover, but mm -hmm. on the military, part of what's happened in the military is this, uh, you know, I would call it the obsession with pronouns. It is, yeah. it is just a wokeness. Yeah. Do you think the wokeness of the military is causing the problem they're having recruiting numbers? No, absolutely. I talk to people all the time and, you know, there are folks in the military, they spend more time worrying about, you know, gender dysphoria training and proper pronoun training and DEI training than actually what you're supposed to be training on is how to uh, deploy, fight, and win the uh, wars of this country, to meet the enemy on the battlefield and impose your will upon him. And when you look at this past National Defense Authorization Act that just came out, you know, it was very disconcerting for me because we had Republicans that voted for this, and basically they said all of this mess, this ideological agenda of the uh, Biden administration, we're going to continue to fund it. Instead of, you know, saying, no, this is where we draw a line in the sand. And, and so I do get very upset with all of the protestations and all of the speeches that are given out there on C-SPAN. But then the next thing you know, it just continues on to perpetuate itself. So um, you're not going to see a lot of people want to join a military where the focus is not on war fighting capability and capacity. It's about an ideological agenda. I know I said that was the last question, but I, I actually want to get one more in the military. Yeah. It is because, in part, the idea of introducing uh, wokeness is too gentle a word. Mm -hmm. It is weakening the military, yes. uh, weakening the connection and camaraderie among military officers and, and, and soldiers. It is weakening the concept of what it means to serve in the military when you have uh, endless discussion about unrelated topics or mm -hmm. just silly topics. It's like we don't think we'll need these people running the military today. I mean by that the Biden administration and top leaders. It's like they don't believe we'll ever need a serious mili fighting military force. You serve just your 22 years in the military. Uh, you, amazing. I'm, and the caption I had from one article, extraordinary bravery, devotion to duty. You served in combat zones, Gulf War, Operation Iraqi Freedom. It's like people running the military today are with responsibility. Don't think we'll ever need to do those things again. The problem that we have in our military right now, and a lot of folks don't realize, is that the last promotion that you have where you go in front of like a board of your peers is one star, Brigadier General, Rear Admiral. 
two-star, three-star, four-star, these are all political appointments. And what you have to start looking at is how did these people rise up? Under what type of administration did they rise up in the ranks? And I will tell you that the current Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, was a full colonel. He was a brigade commander in the 82nd Airborne Division when I was stationed at Fort Bragg. It's still Fort Bragg, it's not Fort Liberty. But when I was stationed at Fort Bragg, uh, and I looked up to the man. I mean, everybody wanted to be, Panther 6 was his call sign. I what see was it again? Panther 6, and I see him now, and I'm thinking, what happened to you? Well, I can tell you what happened is that you look and see when did he climb the ranks, two-star, three-star, four-star, Obama administration, and the next thing you know, he's the guy that they tapped to be the Secretary of Defense. And he is not remembering the oath that he took to support and defend the Constitution. These senior military leaders are not remembering the oath they took to support and defend the Constitution. They're supporting a, an ideological agenda that is the antithesis of what we are supposed to be doing with our United States military. So their ideology changed in their course of their military, time in the military, their ideology changed or their... It, it becomes, you know, how do I continue to climb this rung? How do I continue to climb this ladder? Uh, and I think it's very appalling because you look and you say, where are the Chesty Pullers? Where are the Bull Halseys? Where are the MacArthur's? Where are the Patton's? Where are all of these great leaders that we once had that wore, you know, stars on their on their shoulders? Uh, we just lost a, a, a fantastic leader in the United States Army yesterday. He was General Gordon R. Sullivan. He was my division commander at, in the 1st Infantry Division when I was a young captain, and he rose up to become the chief of staff of the Army. And his motto at the 1st Infantry Division was, if you wanted to pick a fight, you came to the right place. Now, if you had a division commander that said that today, I mean, he'd be, you know, what are you doing going out there talking about picking a fight? Uh, but that's how feminized we have become yep. in our military. And the sad thing, Debbie, and I will close on this, China sees this, Russia sees this, Iran sees this, North Korea sees this, Islamic terrorists see this. And that's why you see them making all of their inroads right now. That was my next point, and I want to hit it. I, I, we have many things to talk about, including I want to talk about your leadership of the Texas State GOP. But in the military, the sympathy, it seems, in many of the Biden administration-level people, the, the you know Marxists running this country mm -hmm. right now, they don't really see a uniqueness and greatness of America that needs to be strongly defended. Mm -hmm. They're sympathetic to a lot of the uh, of America's enemies. They're sympathetic to Russia. They're sympathetic to Islamic jihadists. Mm -hmm. and so they can't they they can't manufacture that that profound desire to have a strong military capable of defending us. And the only way to change that is to change out the presidency and then change out very high levels oh, of the military. I mean, big changes have to happen. The big changes have to happen because even if you go back to the, the Vietnam War, we lost the Vietnam War strategically. We never lost tactically, you know, never a, a battle, major engagement on the ground. So we have got to have the right type of strategic leadership at the commander in chief level, the secretary of defense level, all of those chairmen of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I would uh, ask your audience to go and look up the current chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Charles uh, Q. Brown, Texas Tech graduate, uh, Air Force four-star general. Here's a man that said that we need no more than 46% white pilots in the United States Air Force. And now he's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Now, when I was on the ground, I did not give a rat, you know what, what color you were flying that, that jet. I wanted to make sure you were competent enough to put the bombs where we wanted them to go, preferably on the enemy. But now, all of a sudden, this is about diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's not what our military is about.
Yeah, it, it is so outrageous. To finish my point about your leadership of the military, um, you did show, I mean, I wouldn't memorize this list, so I'm just going to read it quickly. Leadership skills awarded, awarded numerous times, numerous accolades, you know, Bronze Star, three Meritorious Service Medals, three Army Commendation Medals, and I know that you have long been out of the military, but those are character traits you build in the military, and they are, they are leadership skills you build, and they, they don't go away. And I think it's relevant where I want to get to about the county party. Mm -hmm. So great leadership um, in the military and years of service, and, and not because you were dragged and drafted, because you chose to serve, which I, mm -hmm. I just tru truly appreciate. Um, so finish the military, ran for Congress two years. I mean, it was one term, too short to talk that much about today, because I want to turn and talk about your leadership of the Texas State GOP. Okay, so we're gonna, okay, I see the, the smile on your face. I'm just gonna tell the story. <laughs> so, <laughs> when? <laughs> You're gonna do it anyway, so no, I'm gonna take you go away your, okay. You took so, my thunder. <laughs> you about to take my thunder. Okay, so very briefly, when uh, we, uh, my husband and I consider the West our good friends, when uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West was considering running for state party chair, there was also a great opportunity to run for Congress in the district we, we both lived in at that time. So I was a little bit on his case about why are a you running? Bit. Okay, a lot on, <laughs> a lot on his case oh, about geez. why are you running for state party chair? Run for Congress. We need a new congressman in this district. You can get in there. You win hands down, and so. He came over to our house. Uh, my husband and I are sitting there being nice. But you know, my point was to talk him into running for Congress. He just said, let me just tell you what it is. And honestly, it was one of the imp really impressive moments um, because you weren't taking on the role of state party chair in the way it had been traditionally served, held. It was just a role where you kept the donors happy and bring money in and maybe you hand out sheets explaining to people how to run for a precinct chair, whatever. You hand out information. But you took the idea of what the state party should be, and, and this was your point at that, was that conversation in our house, he reminds me of this every time that he did win the state party chair race after I was trying to convince him to run for Congress. But um, you, you were really, um, you took on this mission to say, the state party has to turn around. It can't just be elbow rubbing with the donors. It can't just be, you know, administrivia. It's about leadership. Mm -hmm. So just talk a little bit about why you took on that role and really what you did to be a leader in that role. Well, I think one of the most important things, uh, when I was a young lieutenant, you had a reading list. And one of the books in the reading list was Sun Tzu's Art of War. And Sun Tzu's Art of War is so important. You have to understand your opponent, your adversary, your enemy, your opposition. Uh, and we have not done a good job of that in, in the Republican Party. And so when I sat back and looked at the trends and what was happening here in Texas, remember in 2018, Republicans got whitewashed here in Texas. I mean, we lost like 56 judicial positions. We lost uh, some state house positions. We lost some state Senate seats uh, because there was an intentional focus on Texas because they really believe that they can flip Texas. And if they do so, uh, it's, it's Katie bar the door. So, you know, my thing was that we have got to hold on to Texas. And that's why I wrote that little book you have there, Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. Because if you lose this red state, then Katie barred a door. And we yeah. have seen the left be able to come in and effectively uh, flip uh, red states. So you had to have someone with, with a strategic vision. You had to have someone that could go in there and message against the progressive socialist left. And of course, the year that I won was the presidential election year, 2020. 
And of course, everyone said, okay, so, so what's the plan? What are you going to do? And if you remember, the focus of the, the Democrats, the progressive socialists, was to go into suburban areas because they wanted to demonize Donald Trump. I said, we're going to go down to the border. And people were like, why would we do that? Because you go behind enemy lines. You cause the disruption. You, you go to the places where the other side thinks that they're strongest, and you take that message there, and you make them defend territory instead of coming up here in suburban areas and trying to defend territory. And what was the big story that came out of the 2020 presidential election cycle for the state of Texas? The Rio Grande River Valley flipped. Yep. Zapata County, first time in 100 years, went Republican because we took the message to the Hispanic community down there about the border, about their true conservative principles and values. You know, I don't know if any of you all have seen the uh, documentary Uncle Tom, but, oh. but we, you know, I had them show Uncle Tom down in Del Rio, Texas, in a Hispanic church. And what was the message? To say that this is what the left has done to my community. This is where you guys are next. And it yep. started that light. So I think that what we have to start looking at is you've got to have stronger leadership at the state and the local levels. Because what the left does is they come in and remember George Soros, you know, backing all of these district attorneys. Nobody pays attention to district attorney races. And now look at what has happened, you know, in all of these major urban centers to include right here in Dallas County. So we have got to start, as I say, fighting locally in order to win nationally, uh, because we have not done a good job of that. I love it so much. And I love that you told this story specifically about going down to what territory mentally many Republicans have just ceded. Yeah. They, just, they just conceded, well, we're not going to win them. They concede the, black, the inner cities. And who is suffering the most? I mean, when you, the fact that he, here we are in Texas and Republicans are blocking school choice being passed. Well, who do you think that affects the most? I'm, I'm a product of school choice. Yeah. My parents did not send me to, from grace first through ninth, they didn't send me to the public school in, in our community, uh, inner city of Atlanta. They sent me to a private Catholic school, first through ninth grace. I finished up in a public school and, and I had just a great foundation. So we need to push educational freedom and parental choice. We don't need to have all this lawlessness and crime that is going on. But if you're not there, you know, the, the, I hate the word outreach. You'll never hear me use that word outreach because it means you show up in Black History Month, Hispanic, Asian Pacific Heritage Month, and then people never see you again until 60 days before the election and you try right. to get people to vote for you. You've got to have consistent engagement on principles and values. Yep, I love that. I meant to make a comment earlier over the number of years, number of times you're on my show mentioned Sun Tzu's Art of War. I meant to tell you I finally bought it and I read it. Yeah, there you go. I don't, it hasn't changed my life much, but I can see why. <laughs> but I Debbie see. giveth and Debbie taketh away. <laughs> well, no, actually, it, it is remarkable. And I know, and actually, well, anyway, it's remarkable. So back to your service at the GOP, I think part of what happens with the, within, and this segues into a larger point about the elections we're facing in this country mm -hmm. and the condition of America. I worry sometimes. I spend too much time on my show talking about negative things. I'm trying to talk about, look what the left has done to the border, to the military, to uh, our sovereignty, giving mm -hmm. sovereignty over to the World Health Organization, to crime, to inner cities. I'm just railing and railing and railing about how bad the left is. And, and I, I do it in part because I, I want people to connect the dots. I want them to become politically mm -hmm. motivated to be involved and connect the dots that these things are not happening organically. They're mm -hmm. not happening just as society 
society evolves, oh, look, this is interesting, yeah. uh, but they're act it's orchestrated and intentional. Um, but I, I think what's happened on so many issues, people are concerned enough that you're now seeing more people who aren't very politically active realizing, I better do something. I just yeah. better do something. You probably hear all the time, every speech I give is the main question afterwards, what can I do? Tell me something yeah. specific I can do. Well, it kind of goes back to September the 17th, 1787 the day that the Constitution was signed. And Mrs. Powell, very popular Philadelphia socialite, she came up to Benjamin Franklin outside Constitutional Hall, and she asked him, well, doctor, what do we have, a, a republic or a monarchy? And he said, a republic if you can keep it. And I just believe that for so long, we went about our lives thinking that everything is gonna be taken care of. We vote for these people, they're gonna go and they're gonna do what's right by us. Now we're figuring out they're not doing what's right by us. And people are starting to feel it every single day. You know, I, and some of y'all maybe have heard me say this, but the most important elected position in the United States America School Board, the least amount of voter participation in an election in the United States America School Board then all of a sudden, coming out of COVID, we, we looked down, uh, you know, because we were trapped in the house with our kids, and we were like, what in the Sam Hill is going on? And then people started showing up at school board meetings. Yeah. And, and everything became, <clears throat> you know, a, a revelation to them. And you got that grassroots engagement. It wasn't about Republican or Democrat. It was about, that's my child. And I want my child to get a quality education because that's how they get an equality of opportunity. So when things start to touch you in your home, those kitchen table type of issues, when you go to the gas pump, when you go to the grocery store, uh, then people start to get engaged. But when you're out there talking about $34 trillion in debt, you might as well be uh, a U-2 spy, pl spy plane flying over someone's head. I, I mean, th right, they're just, right. the eye's gonna roll back. Yeah. On the subject of schools, several issues people got really engaged in for the first time, as you say, because COVID came along. One was critical race theory, mm -hmm. and they just realized the school is cultivating racial division. That's what critical yeah. race theory does. It was also the transgender lunacy advocacy and, mm -hmm. and advocacy for 53 genders and pick your own, um, all that. And the other thing I really loved and got a less, little less attention, but more attention to what the schools are teaching about what America is and how you had a history of, well, it's just a country with, you know, we had uh, these racist founders, it's little yeah. old white men. 1619 Project. Oh, yeah. that was just, I, I've spent more time talking about that because it just is a, it is such a corruption of the beauty of the idea of America, yeah. the 1619 Project. Well, you know, and what's amazing is that here they're bringing out the 1619 Project. When you don't teach about the Revolutionary War, when you don't teach about the Boston Massacre, then you don't tell young black kids about Christmas addicts. A free man, one of the first people to lose his life in the defense and the establishment of this, the, the, the idea of individual liberty and freedom. So, I mean, I just, I just don't get it. But I do get it because that's what cultural Marxism is. It is, and you know, you write a lot. Of, I'm going to commend. I want to turn to talk about your writing. You write a lot about cultural Marxism, socialism, calling it out by name. Well, Claudine Gay helps me out with my writing. <laughs> yeah, really well, I'll write her a nice thank you note yeah, too. I, then, yeah. <laughs> I do. I'll very quickly tell uh, people, our listeners, um, so there are two books I brought of, um, by Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, um, and I love the name Guardian of the Republic. Um, and so this is uh, one, I believe I got this on Amazon, and everyone else is supposed to use Amazon, but I did. Okay, this, and this is, it's been around a while. This one, Guardian of the Republic, and this one, Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, Victory or Death. And you know, I will say, 
the idea it's when people get motivated because they're concerned about things and then they write um, for some people that's how you learn they're not going to listen to shows like this mm -hmm. or they're not, they're not going, but they will read a book and then think about it and I love that you do that I've also noticed you have a really great substack going you're writing on substack yeah. so you're writing a lot and you used to have Old School Patriot, another web website. Well, the Old School Patriot now is Steadfast and Loyal. You know, we have okay. the podcast that, that we put out there. And the, the term Steadfast and Loyal comes from the motto of the uh, 4th Infantry Division. Uh, that was the division I commanded the battalion in because I think that that's something that everyone can relate to. Now the time, we need to be steadfast to this constitutional republic and to be loyal to its principles and values. And the important thing is that we've got to talk about this in our homes in our communities. Because uh, I'll be very honest, if I had ever come home while I was a student at University of Tennessee and told my mama and my daddy that my professor was smarter than they were <laughs> and they were all wrong, I wouldn't be here I'm sitting with you today. <laughs> you know, it, it, because, you know, it goes back to what, you know, Joshua said, as for me and my house, you know, we will serve the Lord. Well, we've got to reclaim our homes because if you don't reclaim your children, think about what Joe Biden has said, Jill Biden has said, Kamala Harris has said, Kareem Jean-Pierre said, your children are not yours. They're oh, ours. Oh, yeah. In fact, the uh, Virginia governor's race pretty much got decided about that. Absolutely. The issue of... Terry McAuliffe. Yeah. And Terry McAuliffe actually said what they say behind the closed doors, is that parents have no right in deciding what their children are being taught. Yeah. And you know, the arrogance of that leftist mentality, that probably didn't even seem out of line to say, no. is really what they think, mm -hmm. that the children are owned, as Lenin wanted to say, as Marx, the whole concept of... All of them. Yeah. Children, when you get a hold of education and you get them from whatever they are, five years old and mm -hmm. up, you know, you've got them. The parents, whatever the parents are trying to say, mm -hmm. the school system can overwhelm them. And that's why all this, this uh, the left pushes the propaganda in the public schools so much. And that's, and that's why, you know, again, coming back to looking locally, you've got to win these school board races. Yeah. You've got to win these, these local city council races. And what I, maybe I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but what I see happening in Texas even is that we're getting smacked around in the local level. Uh, when you live in a county like Dallas County and there are no Republicans in countywide elected positions, when you have 75% of the countywide positions in 2024, in this election cycle, 75% of countywide positions in Dallas County are unopposed. 73% of judicial races in Dallas County are unopposed. And, and how are you supposed to be relevant? Uh, so we have got to start thinking about how do we take care of, of our locale here because the model of the left is they will come into a red state, take up with your, over your major urban population centers, and it's a numbers game. And then they will manipulate the voting systems and everything like that, and then you become relegated to, to being nothing. You, you become just a subject. Right, yeah. Well, I was going to talk about the border, but since we've transitioned, the, I do want to talk about the border if we get a chance before um, the end of, of today. But. And, and if I could tie it to, you know, we're sitting right now in an area that is in the top five for human and sex trafficking. So that's how the border relates to something that is local here. And, and I would just challenge everybody here in the audience, look around when you're driving throughout Dallas County. All of a sudden, I'm seeing a lot of young Hispanic girls at street corners selling flowers. And, and their little babies are on their front pack or their backpack or center. That's human and sex trafficking. 
Right. And that's happening right here in front of our eyes. So where's the district attorney? Oh, the guy that George Soros supported. So where's our law enforcement? Where's our county sheriff? When you have human and sex trafficking right here, in other words, the cartels are thumbing their noses at us and saying, we brought them into your communities and we're going to overtake your communities. Absolutely true. Yeah. Actually, since we're on the border, I will say it very briefly. I alluded to it earlier, but when we have members of Congress going down, and it happens, I'm, I do want them to have congressional mm -hmm. trips and go see what's happening. But this invasion, in fact, you wrote a great piece about this, but this invasion of the border is not just lax border security, so we have a few more, you know, single moms with three kids and just coming for a better life. That's not who's coming over our border. Yeah. It may be some, but it's a small portion. The border is an actual invasion of America. Mm -hmm. And you know, I honestly, I truly think, even if 10 years ago when you were on my show, when we talked about how bad the border, we would have thought, well that, I would have thought, that will never happen, it can't get that bad. But this is an actual, right in front of our eyes, blatantly, you know, unapologetic, abandon the border, bringing people over, shipping them around the country. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows it's happening. And talk about lack of leadership. Who is doing anything? Nobody. It's purposeful, it's intentional, and the sad thing, Debbie, you, you're a great constitutionalist. No one is following the rule of law. At no level is anyone, and, and I go down to Kenny County and visit with Sheriff Bradco. If you ever get a chance, go down to some of these uh, border counties. They're just completely overrun. They don't have the resources to be able to deal with, their, with what they're dealing with, but they're turning around and looking, you know, who's going to help us? You know, who's going to, you know, stand in the gap for us? Exactly. And I will say that as another issue where we talk about the American people getting more involved in, in the schools, for sure, and that's great. Mm -hmm. In election integrity, and that's wonderful. All sorts of issues people are grabbing onto. There are more people trying to call attention to the border because of what's happening is, is getting into communities. It's not just the little border communities, but further up into Texas and, and, and actually just pushing its way north. And more people are, are you know, connecting the dot between what seemed like an, you know, just kind of intellectual issue of border mm -hmm. policy to it's corrupting our community and our mm -hmm. schools and our hospitals and our health care. Everything's being impacted. So you do hear people speaking up, but this is, I'm back to this thing I want to really focus on with you is where in the world is leadership in America? Because yes, we have a Democrat, you know, run government. We do, and they're Marxists, but we have a slimmest majority in Congress. You don't see very many people in Congress really hardly any I can think of saying, until you enforce the border, we're not even paying anyone in the federal government. And where's the outrage on the behalf of the Republican majority to what's happening? You know, it's amazing because that's uh, one of the, the big talking points now because we're coming up on funding the, the government. They pushed that can down the road and people are asking, are you really, really willing to shut down the government over border security? The answer should be unequivocally, yes. Right. Because you have to, if you are not protecting your border, you're not protecting your sovereignty. And, you know, last fall I was up in Minnesota and Wisconsin. You know, we got this little thing, I-35, that runs all the way up there. That's a pipeline. I mean, they're dealing with illegal immigration issues in Minnesota and Wisconsin. So somehow this has to be stopped. And, and again, it's purposeful and intentional. It's a drug trafficking crisis. Over 100,000 Americans have lost their lives because of fentanyl. That is more than Korea and Vietnam losses combined. Yeah. Now, this is a chemical warfare attack that comes from China. No one has gone after the cartels. We know who the cartels are. I mean, you go down to South Texas, people will show you their, their houses that they live in. No one is freezing their bank accounts. 
No one has really done anything to declare them a terrorist organization and then undermine them and arrest people that are aiding and abetting and supporting them. No one has done anything to these uh, non-governmental organizations that are down there basically being travel agencies. When you are an American citizen and you have to go through TSA, but then you look over to the other side and you see illegals that can bypass TSA. First of all, where's their picture ID? Uh, yeah, oh, by the yeah. way, then you look <clears throat> at Governor Shapiro in Pennsylvania that says we're going to give illegals driver's licenses. What do you think they're going to do with that? That's a picture ID. That means they're going to be able to vote. And that's a big concern that we should have here in Dallas County is how do we make sure that these illegals don't get on the voting rolls? How do we make sure that we don't have these unsolicited mail-in ballots that just get mailed out to houses that maybe have 10, 15, 20 illegals in the house? That is how this thing will topple this constitutional republic and no one is is fighting against it really yeah no one's fighting the levels needed you had a great piece about that i mentioned or i guess before we started but you also serve uh as you serve um, with acru the american constitution uh constitutional rights union yeah rights union yeah um you're one of our main spokesmen i think you are the what's your title executive with director with yeah executive yeah. director you had a great piece uh called america's true constitutional crisis um, and it just basically runs through, you know, you can mention, people could come up with a list, I guess, mm -hmm. but the, the most important constitutional crisis is that we don't have a border and we don't no. have anyone enforcing it. And, we don't have anyone even fighting it. About and it. I want folks to start understanding when you hear these numbers thrown out there, a million to a million and a half, maybe two million gotaways, people that are in this country that we have no clue who they are, M mainly they're single military age males. That number is greater than the combined active duty strength of our Army and Marine Corps. So in other words, you have a fighting force, aged males, in this country that surpasses your own Army and Marine Corps, which are not making their recruiting and retention Which are pronoun training. They're doing pronoun training. And how does the left think that we resolve this issue of not meeting our recruiting and retention levels? Senator Dick Bert Durbin from Illinois says that, let's just put illegal immigrants into our military. You know, the people that broke our law, that disregard our constitution to come into the country, now we expect them to take an oath to support and defend the constitution. And the other thing that's happening in Illinois is the Governor Pritzker. They are now about to start hiring illegal immigrants as law enforcement officers. I saw that, I, I know. Now, how many, how many <clears throat> short law enforcement officers are we here in the city of Dallas? About six, seven hundred, maybe eight hundred. Yep. So next thing you know, is someone going to make the decision here in Dallas that hey, we'll just make up that shortage with illegals? Yeah, and just the audacity of thinking you're going to be pulled over by a police officer who's an illegal alien has really no legal right to be here, um, broke the law to get here, and he's talking because you were five miles over the speed limit. That's not going to go well. I mean, Sounds like a lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, so I think, you know, we're going to, I do want to turn to Dallas County now, but this whole concept of what the mess America's in and the capacity to turn things around. You do hear people say, and not you, but I've heard people say, you know, America's over. You just, you just give in, give up. Mm. And I will tell you, I will be the last one in the country. Well, you and I can be together, but last one in the country. We'll never give up this country. We have massive problems because we have fraudulent elections. Yeah. We have elections controlled by whoever it is controlling electronic ballots. We have all sorts of other ways fraud occurs. We don't really have fair elections. And we have illegal aliens filling the country and people not concerned about it until it's at their front door and mm -hmm. they realize, oh, wait, the illegal aliens voted and that's why we now have, you know, whatever the chaos is they would yeah. vote in. Then people finally kind of wake up. But as I say, I do think the wake up is happening. But so turning to um, Dallas County, you're running for Dallas County party chair. And 
<clears throat> this is not going to be a repeat of my effort to talk you. I was joking <laughs> about running for <laughs> state chair. Not at all. I actually, I will say, I have noticed not that you are a prominent one doing this, but people who have served in higher capacities at various points in their lives, realizing I have to get in the fight where I can. Yeah. I have to get in the fight where it's available. And so you're running for county party chair. And I'll just start out with one thing that I saw was trending on Twitter today. Democrats are destroying America. That was a Twitter hashtag, Democrats are destroying America. A lot of the stories linking off of that hashtag were about crime is out of control, mm -hmm. cities are out of control, and everyone in cities keeps voting for Democrats to put them back in charge. They don't have DAs that enforce the law. Mm -hmm. And so it's a sense of hopelessness. So you're running for Dallas County Party Chair. First of all, why are you doing that? And what are you going to do differently? Well, you know, it was interesting uh, when the folks first approached me, I was kind of like saying no. But my wife put a boot up my you-know-what and said, look, uh, you know, when people come to you and, and they ask you for, for your help, you know, you, you have a fighting spirit and you should be out there and you should do whatever you can. And when I look at my two little grandsons, one's two and a half, the other's two and a half months, uh, this is a, an important time for them. So when you've got to be able to, to stand up and to deliver a message and, and really you're fighting an insurgency here in Dallas County. And, and let's go back four years ago to 2020. Um, Republicans lost 93% of their races in Dallas County. Three out of 40, 44 races in Dallas County. Uh, two years later, they improved. It was only 88% loss. It was uh, six out of 51. But the thing that I want folks to pay attention to is that in 2020, the voting spread between Republicans and Democrats in Dallas County was 291,000. That's incredible. That should not be the case in, in anywhere. I mean, we are completely not competitive. The last time Republicans had a competitive advantage over Democrats in Dallas County was 2004. Yeah. Uh, you had about 350,000 to 310,000. So somebody on the left has made a decision that we're going to go in, we're going to start working inside Texas, inside, you know, these municipalities, and we're going to flip them. Look at, you know, Houston and Harris County. Look at Austin and Travis County, San Antonio, Bear County, El Paso. So you've got to start doing something here. And one of the most important things we've got to do, when you only have 33 to 35% of your precinct chairs filled, um, you can't go to battle when you're only 33 or 35% effective. I mean, you have to be pulled off of off the line to be reconstituted and rearmed and refitted. That's where we have to start. We've got to start building up our precinct chairs. I talked about the fact that we have all of these races that are unopposed. We've got to make sure that we are going out there and actively recruiting people and training people to, to run for these elections and support them. Um, and we've got to get on the other side of the, the Trinity River in these minority communities because they're the ones that are hurting the most from a lot of these policies that the, uh, the progressive socialist left are pushing here, especially the crime policies, the defunding the police policy, the education policies. So it's, it's about being visible uh, here because right now we're not. And then you look at what is going on with our elections. This whole thing about countywide elections, we got to get back to precinct elections. 
because... So what do you mean by that for people? You mean where you go to vote on election day? Where you day? go to vote on election day. It has to be in your precincts because if it's in your precincts, that's how you can track it. That's how you can make sure it's credible and that's how you can have that reconciliation uh, to make sure. But if it's countywide, you know, how do you really track and know where, where people are going? And then you don't have that reconciliation until it gets down to, to the central count. Uh, the early voting, I mean, everybody knows that early voting stops on a Friday and something happens between that Friday and the following Tuesday. Well, you know, instead of us allowing those things to just stay in those machines, which can be manipulated, and, and we have seen that here in Dallas yeah. County, print out the tapes, print out the tapes, seal the tapes, put them in a secure facility, put, uh, you know, the county sheriffs in there. I think we should put some veterans outside the building. Sure. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll be the first one to volunteer for that watch. But you print out those tapes and nobody monkeys with the tapes. That's not reading results, but that eliminates the ability for someone to be able to go in there and, and, and play around with it. So I think it's some very basic things, one-on-one, that we have to start doing here in Dallas County. And I think that we can be a, a paradigm. I think that we can be the model to show other major urban population centers what happens because, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, Fulton County. Look at the mess that Fulton County is. And, and five major population areas in, in Georgia are now the reason why you have two avowed socialist centers from the state of Georgia. It can happen here because our major population centers here are controlled completely by the progressive left. They absolutely are. And, you know, uh, taking on Dallas County uh, as GOP chair, that election is a primary, actually. It's a March 5th mm -hmm. primary, so it's a way it's just... Early voting starts 20 February. Wow. Okay, that's it's right around, around the, corner. the corner. It sure is. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I was going to say about it was, you know, this leadership idea I was talking about earlier. You know, it's one thing you can fix a lot of things. You can fix policies. You can get, you know, and I love the idea. You have to have precinct chairs. You have to have a ground game and all mm -hmm. that stuff. But to inspire people to think there's a reason to get involved, there's a reason to listen to the Republican Party. I mean, I do think it's part of what you talked about earlier in your state chair and going down to the border and those in the valley down there and talking to people. There is a need to send a, a vibrant Republican message um, broader throughout Dallas mm -hmm. County to people who don't ever hear from Republicans they um, and, and are a little bit suspicious about what Republicans really think or what they might really do because I think that and you've you were a very gifted speaker I know you know you know you know everyone knows that but I mean you you're a sought out speaker because you're able to inspire people and I do think it's one of the qualities that is so needed um, at the um, at every level it's needed at the county mm -hmm. party level it's, it's needed for people running for Congress it's, every seat you're running for is more than just you know I believe this I don't like this but that that spark of of uh, patriotism and and you draw people in and they realize oh this is they feel like they're part of something mm -hmm. when the, when you speak so you got to tell uh, them why you know the 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 thing that would really astonish me the most when I was state party chairman traveling around the state of Texas and when you ask people when was the Republican Party of Texas founded people did just I don't know and then you tell them Independence Day of 1867 in Houston, Texas, by 150 black men who two years prior to that found out that they were free because yeah. of what a Republican president did. And people are just shocked. Or when you go down to the Hispanic community down along the border and you ask them, what demographic has the most Medal of Honor recipients in the history of the United States of America? Hispanic community. 
And all of a sudden people perk up and, and they get a sense of pride because you're giving them something to believe in as opposed to the other side is saying America's a crappy place, there's nothing to believe in. Well, right. I don't see a lot of people going the opposite direction you know, for the board. I don't see a lot of people leaving South Florida to go to Cuba. So there has to be something that is here, but when people are constantly inundated with that message of you know, negativity, hate, and whatever, and there's no other message that they hear, then they will drift to that message of negativity and hate. So we have got to get that out there. And, and I will tell you, one of the key things I want to do around Dallas County, utilize billboards. Billboards are powerful, especially when you have a place like this where we don't have a subway. Everything is yeah, above ground. Yeah, everyone's driving. And yeah. traffic sucks. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, time to read the whole thing. Time to yeah. read the whole thing. Okay. I love billboards. Another aspect, I'm not sure, uh, I don't at this moment recall where I read it, but one thing the Republican Party should be doing more is reaching out to churches. And I don't know whether that's something you can formally do with you. You, you can. And, you know, I'm a national spokesperson for My Faith Votes. Please look this up, Jason Yates. On average, in a presidential election cycle, which is this cycle coming up, on yeah. average, 25 million Christians don't vote. I can't even stand thinking about that, honestly. And, and when you explain to people, what was the very first thing that the government sought to shut down in March of 2020? It, it wasn't the Mickey D's. It, it, it wasn't, you know, Walmart. wasn't, you know, strip home Strip joints, yeah. Yeah, strip joints, marijuana places, abortion clinics. It was church. Yeah. A yeah. complete violation of the very first liberty you have in the Constitution of the United States of America, freedom of religion and free exercise yeah. thereof. On the subject of churches, I do think that the ch we, we, we've had this discussion, I think you and I have had about the whole misconception about separation of church and state, totally. what it really means versus what, what, what was meant in the letter that was written versus what it really means. But churches with a duty, if you actually are teaching in your church, love your neighbors yourself, mm -hmm. that has to mean protect your neighbor. I mean, you love them by protecting yeah. them. So you protect him against a dangerous community because the DA won't prosecute crime or idiotic policies coming out of the legislature that end up harming them. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the whole notion of engaging churches in, 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 the, in the sense of, or for the reason, because you're part of loving your neighbors, protecting them and protecting this, I think America's founding was rooted in Judeo-Christian principles. There's no made, doubt about it. Yeah, that, that made America what it is. There the is Republican no Party other nation. Doesn't doesn't grab onto that. Well, they're afraid of it. You know, the thing that, and if there's anybody that could kind of like not like Republicans is me because they were the ones that redistricted me out in 2012. I wasn't going to mention that, but. Yeah, but, but it is not about me, it's about my country. It's, it's about yeah. what I took a note to support and defend. And, and so when I look at the relationship between Republicans and Democrats, when Democrats are in the minority, they're still tenacious. They're like the little chihuahua. They're almost in charge. Yeah, but when they're in the majority, they're tyrannical. And when Republicans, being a minority or majority, they're still timid for whatever yep. reason. They, they just don't have that instinct to, to go, for, go for it all. And, and I think that people are starting to say, we need to have those type of individuals. And when you look at this primary season here in the state of Texas that we're about to see, you've got 52 challengers to Texas State House Republicans. 52. That's, that is unheard of. And, yep. and countless have, have already retired. But even more so, you have 46 county chairman challenge races in this election cycle across the state of Texas. That's going to lead me to my last question. Before I'll say, if you have a question, uh, there will be someone standing up in a moment with a microphone. You can ask a question um, and just, as you would, stand up and speak right in the microphone and try to keep it short. But, but this is actually a question I, um, I think really matters a lot. So 
throughout Texas and probably throughout America, you will hear Republicans, I mean, whether in county party chairman leadership positions or other ones, really uh, dismissive of other activists on the conservative side who vote Republican. They're going to vote in yeah. primaries. They're going to vote in the general. They are Republicans, but for whatever reason, they're not involved formally in the Republican Party or they're not involved in Republican Women's Club, but they are all sorts of organizations. Uh, here in Dallas, we have a better Dallas. We mm -hmm. have um, deplorables, we, whatever mm -hmm. the other groups are. Oh, we have um, Citizens Defending Freedom, mm -hmm. CDF. So these are groups not officially part of the party, and you hear them, you hear some people in power saying, well, these other groups out here, if they're not part of the party, they're toxic, they're divisive. And I, and I, you know, I told my listeners I'm running for RNC committee woman. Part mm -hmm. of what I'm frustrated about in the party is we need to view everybody who's on our side, whether they like the R by their name or not, whether... Mm -hmm. To, to draw them in. And I, I think we would we'd be amazed by the power that would come to our party. Mm -hmm. So I want to just, what is your way to deal with the seeming divisiveness of the, of the or divided nature of the Republican Party right now? You know, leadership, uh, what the, the Army taught me, is about taking a diverse group and bringing it together for the accomplishment of a singular goal. You know, when I was a commander, you know, 600 troops, I had troops from the inner city, I had troops from rural areas. I had black, white, Hispanic, Asian. I had troops from all different types of walks of life. Uh, I didn't look at the squad and say, I hate this squad and I like this platoon or whatever. I gave them a focus and that's what you have to do. If you cannot focus people, just the same as, uh, I love the story of Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain at Little Round Top. If you've never been to Gettysburg, you should go to Gettysburg. You can just stand on that ground. Here's a man that was a professor of rhetoric, not a trained military guy, and he is put at the end of the line of the Army of the Potomac during the Battle of Gettysburg. And on the second day, General Lee decided he was going to flank the entire Army of the Potomac. 95,000, he was going to go after that flank unit. Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, in the midst of all of that, decimated unit, mm -hmm. rallied them, even they were out of ammunition, casualties mounted, and he told them fixed bayonets. Say That's that with those words again, fix bayonets. Fix bayonets. Meaning? A word that had never been said in the Union Army to that point in the Civil War. And they charged down Little Round Top and they routed the 20th Alabamians who were under the command of John Bell Hood, the, the, the Texas the division commander. And he saved that day. He saved the Army of Potomac. He saved the Battle of Gettysburg. He saved the Union. And the professor of rhetoric, not a trained military man, went on to be awarded the Medal of Honor and became a two-term governor of the state of Maine. The story of America is that ordinary people, when you challenge them, they'll do extraordinary things. And I think that we don't do a good job of going out there and challenging everyday constitutional conservatives to step up and do extraordinary things. I love that. I love that story. I learned from you. I, I, I love hearing it again. Uh, so let me just ask you uh, very quickly. So we have elections this year, obviously. We have this primary in March, and then we have elections in the mm -hmm. fall. And so, you know, we're, it's a, an extremely divisive time in this country. And, and, and Dallas County, we haven't had won a countywide election. I thought it was 2006, but whatever it was, way back before we had. We, That's when it started to shift. Okay. 2006 was when you started to shift. Okay. And, and, and the left came in, and, and now we're to the point where we don't have any. Uh, no. J.J. K uh, Koch was the coke, was yeah. the last one. 
So, um, I mean, how long is it going to take to get back at Republican control? I mean, I'm just getting at, I yeah. assume you don't think we'll have Republican control of Dallas County, you know. No, I think it will take you a good, and I'm talking about two-year election cycles, a good three to four uh, two-year election, so six to, to eight years. Because the left believes in incrementalism, and, and they started this in 2006, and they finally accomplished it in 2022. But I believe that if we're dedicated and we're committed to our principles and values, that we can make it happen in, in, in less time than, than what they did to turn it around. I certainly hope you're right. And I love just the notion, pick off one race to start. That's pick it. off one great victory. Okay, love to have questions from the audience. If anyone, did anyone have their hand up? Seriously? No one has their hand up? Okay, thank you very much. Okay, there you go. Thank you for your service, and thank you for pleasure. being here today. Thank you. I, pardon? Oh, well, I come when I can, but I usually have carpool at this hour. <laughs> um, but um, my, my, I have too many questions. But I guess primarily the military is so ill-equipped now to deal with the so many crises that we have facing us mm -hmm. that, that it leaves people, I think, like us, feeling like we need to be prepared for the worst. We need to be prepared to fight for ourselves. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, and I, yeah, I would like to hear you talk well, sure. about that I because mean, you mean, must if, feel the same way. Well, if you understand how this country got started, on April the 19th of 1775, this, there was no United States of America. There was no Army. There was no Navy. There was no Marine Corps. What was there? Citizens. They understood if I'm armed, I can be a citizen. If I'm disarmed, I will be a subject. And therefore, when you read the words of the Second Amendment, it says a well-regulated militia, regulated not meaning regulated ATF. Regulated means trained, if you go back and you study the words of the founding fathers. So a well-trained militia, us and y'all, everybody, being necessary for the security of a free state. Because that's how you secure it. It is your responsibility, every single one of you, to secure this free state. Therefore, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Pretty simple language, shall not be infringed. Don't mess with it, don't screw around with it, leave it alone. But the thing is that how many people understand the history of the Second Amendment? How many people understand what I just talked about? How many people understand why you were given the right? Now, I will tell you something. You go and look at what just happened October the 7th in Israel. You can understand why we have a Second Amendment in the United States of America. Why? Because only 2% of Israeli citizens were private gun owners on October 7th. 2%. Now, America is about 65%. We should be 80%. Okay? But, but the thing is that that's why you have that right. Look, you cannot carry a police officer, law enforcement officer, on your hip. You need to be ready to defend yourself. And that's the essence of what America is. And now when you look down at the border area, when you have ranchers, they're being told that you cannot detain people that are illegally on your property, on your ranch, or else you will be prosecuted for kidnapping. That, my friends, is FUBAR. And I think y'all know what FUBAR stands for. Okay? If you don't, <laughs> don't I'll talk to you Don't afterwards. guess now. Ask okay? me later. <laughs> but, but you've got to study and understand the Constitution. You've got to study and understand why the Founding Fathers gave you all of these rights. And the First Amendment rights are a bunch of passive rights. Without the Second Amendment rights, you don't have First Amendment rights. Amen. <clears throat> Hi. Howdy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Um, 
You talk about military, and um, when I was in the military, President Carter. I remember he used to be the governor of my home And state. at that time. Yeah, <laughs> we sent him away. Sure. And at that time, um, I just recall what happened to our government and how people looked at us. Mm -hmm. And that's where Iran kind of went crazy mm -hmm. with the Ayatollah. And it seems like it's a deja vu. George the Santayana, the, Scottish, uh, the Spanish political philosopher, was the one that said, those who fail to study history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, weakness is enticing. And oh. my biggest concern, coming back to what the young lady just asked me right there, my biggest concern is that the enemies of the United States of America are seeing this as a window of opportunity this last year. And they're going to make every single opportunity to Xi Jinping is talking about reunifying, you know, Taiwan to China. You, you see what is happening in Israel with this Islamic, ter Islamic terrorism, Iran, uh, Russia going in and invading all because what they saw from the debacle in Afghanistan. And they know that we don't have a strong military. That's why Ronald Reagan coined the phrase peace through strength. You know, People will respect you when they know that you're strong. And in this world, the dictators, theocrats, and tyrants, they really only understand strength and might. Uh, but they're not seeing that in, in this administration. Well, uh, of course the morale is really bad because we're not focused on what the core mission of our military is. But again, if you guys sit it out in November 2024, you get what you deserve. Okay, we actually kind of are out of time. We have one quick short question, if it's real quick. Uh, Happy New Year, and Happy thank year. you for your service. My pleasure. Your comments about the degradation of the military, both of you, and the whole woke culture and what they're focused on is absolutely, it's fascinating, it's scary, and it's just plain disturbing. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question is, how do we stem that tide? It's, it appears to be so incredibly strong. How do you get rid of that and get back to where it should be? Number one, you gotta win school board races because this is all about indoctrination, not education. Number two, you gotta stop supporting these, you know, schools of education at these colleges and universities, your alma maters that are pumping out the next generation of progressive socialist teachers. That's where you have to start hitting them. I think that every state in the United States of America should have a Hillsdale College. That's how you start to turn things around. Yeah. It is education which is the key. Yeah. You know, I'm, we could go much longer, obviously. Loved having you here. Um, I did mean to mention, I'll quickly tell our listeners, uh, Alan West, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West's website for this race is West, the numeral four, west4dallas.com, uh, west4dallas.com. There's a lot of information there. There are videos he's done explaining his views on things. Um, I meant to mention it earlier, but I do urge people to do that. And also, uh, you can contribute, of course, to his website. Campaigns, sadly, just cost money. That's just life. And they what's your money. website for a national committee woman of Texas? Well, now that you ask, my, <laughs> my website I'd love to have you go to is Debbie G for RNC. Debbie, D-B-B-I-E-G, the numeral four, rnc.com. Debbie G for RNC, love to have you go there. And uh, same kind of thing, a lot of information. You're welcome to donate because it would really, really help. So um, first of all, I know you're busy. You're, you're already on the campaign trail working hard. I want to thank you for coming in. And My I feel pleasure. like I just touched the surface what we could have talked about. But thank you so much for joining me that today. That means I have to come back. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you for thank joining you me. <clears throat>
Um, I periodically want to give thanks. When you hear the music at the start of the show, coolest music there ever was for a talk show. Fits my show perfectly. The singer is Krista Branch, and she uh, graciously allows me to use her music without charge. Uh, and she said, just tell people once in a while. So Krista Branch, K-R-I-S-T-A, fabulous music. I am America. It is the theme of this show. You are America. Whoever gets involved, whoever gets in the fight, you shape America's future. Krista Branch, love her. Also want to tell you for upcoming shows, uh, Thursday shows, um, I don't have them in correct sequence. So we have Dr. Brian Artis coming in uh, to talk about latest on COVID things. Things. Uh, we have Liz Collin, who wrote the book about Minneapolis. She wrote They're Lying, and she also is the, um, the moderator in that film that's about Minneapolis, The Fall of Minneapolis. Astonishing film, great book. She's coming in in um, some week, coming up soon. Um, and also Dr. Simone Gold, who's been amazingly involved, not just in COVID, but on creating a new uh, healthcare system to essentially parallel the current healthcare system. She's also very active on January 6th and trying to bring justice to the January 6th um, defendants who are very, many of them very wrongly incarcerated and deprived of their due process rights. So please, I encourage you to tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. The show is America Can We Talk. Our website is americacanwetalk.org. Everything I've ever said on every show, what I've written, it's all there. Please go there. I would love to have our, uh, you visit the website. You can sign up for a weekly newsletter, which is now being restarted. Uh, we had a little hiatus there because I got busy with my campaign, but when the newsletter is restarting, and also you can join the show if you'd like to do that. It's all at americacanwetalk.org. I do this show, America Can We Talk, to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Can you America Can We Talk. Truth about America.